0: One of the hardest things to know about yourself is what you truly believe what you really believe deep down Uh, most people don't have any trouble telling you what they think that they believe but sometimes their actions will contradict it for instance a guy might think that he can take on anyone in the world and then a six foot four mma fighter walks in the room and all of a sudden it's a different story I've heard girls say that they don't care what anyone thinks about them and then they dye their hair some wacky color and get a whole bunch of tattoos, and it's quite obvious that they want people to think quite a lot about them. Um, Even I said a few months ago that, oh, I didn't need any motorcycle training when I was getting my L's for my motorbike. And then I went to the learner's course and proceeded to stall multiple times in front of everyone and made a fool of myself. Uh, What we believe about ourselves is often flawed and we overestimate to the, the degree to which we actually hold. Our central beliefs. And often some people overestimate the degree to which they say they believe in God. We say we love forgiveness until there's someone to forgive. We say we love God's word until it requires obedience in an area where we don't really want to have to obey. I've even heard people say that, yeah, I believe in God. I trust in Jesus only to walk away from him much later in their life when the going gets tough. In James 2.19, uh, he says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Belief is not as simple as believing the right facts, is getting the right things or ascribing to the right paradigm. Real deep down belief is at the core of who you are and where you put your trust. And often we don't know who we are until tests and trials come along and they show us For what we truly believe. Hardship reveals who you really are. are. So what do you really believe? Today we're going to be looking at one of the greatest tests of faith a human being has ever had experience. We're going to look at the extent to which Abraham went to prove his faith and hope in God's promises, that it was not merely an abstract faith or trust, but it, was, it wasn't merely cerebral or intellectual, but heart-changing transformational belief at the core of who Abraham was. And so I've got three things I want to show you guys today. Number one, uh, the nature of living faith. Number two, God's provision for those with faith. And number three, the true living faith. Of the sun. So let's read Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Late in Abraham's life, I'm sure he thought that all his problems were behind him, that most of his struggles were behind him. He'd put in all this hard work. He'd uprooted his life. He'd moved from Ur of the Chaldeans into the land of Canaan. He moved and settled in some pretty hostile areas. He fought in a war. You remember that? He's dealing with so many internal conflicts and external conflicts, which we saw last week. And now it seems his greatest trial is still yet to come in his old age. And God has for Abraham a test that is quite terrible the more you think about it. God asked Abraham, to offer up his son, Isaac, as a burnt sacrifice. Abraham is no stranger to trials and tests. In fact, he's gone through quite a few trials and tests in his time. He's succeeded in some and failed miserably in others. Uh, But tests are used by God to reveal the true state of someone's heart. And we remember in the garden, God places before Adam and Eve a choice between the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And it was a test. It was a test of Adam and Eve. Why does God do this? Well, these tests reveal truth deep within us. It gives us courses of action that we live out into the real world. In fact, without any test, there is no real way to know whether our faith is genuine. And this is important because our entire salvation is predicated on faith alone. It is predicated on faith. And if our faith is not genuine, then we are not saved. And if we are not saved, then there is one thing left for us. But there's only one thing, the terrifying expectation of judgment. The stakes couldn't be any higher. As Adrian Rogers famously said, he said, A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. Peter says it really well in First Peter 1, 6-7. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though that is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our trials and tests that are placed in our life are designed to prove our faith. And in so doing, bring praise and glory and honor to our great King. Real, genuine, strong faith comes from trials and tests. Weak, fickle, whimsical faith will crumble at the the faintest hint of hardship, at the faintest hint of trial And notice the way that God makes this test more grievous, more horrible, more dreadful to Abraham. He says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love. And immediately to anyone with children, the force of this passage is not lost on us. The emotions that Abraham will be feeling right now is just palpable. It's like dripping off the page. God isn't trying to minimize or lessen this blow to Abraham. He wants Abraham to feel every last drop of of weight. Sure, Abraham, he would have parted with every animal in his camp as a burnt offering. He would have parted with his own life to spare his son, Isaac. He's already cast Ishmael out of the camp and he's only left with one son, the son of the promise the son he had worked so hard for and waited an unbelievably long time for for humans. And there is so many problems with this. So many doubts, I would imagine, just walk working their way through Abraham's head. Uh, God had already forbidden murder. You remember in Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image. Murder, uh, sacrificing your son is very much against What God had said. And how can the unchanging, the unchangeable God contradict himself? It contradicts, uh, it conflicts with our nature, who we are as parents. Only the most evil of fathers would mean harm to his children. Fathers are designed to protect their children, not to turn the sword inward on their family. And how would Abraham be able to live with himself? Let alone look Sarah in the eye again. What would all the surrounding nations say? There are so many problems at the surface of this. And you must understand, Abraham has heard the voice of God for decades. He's heard the voice of God for a long time. He knew God. He knew God's voice and he would not follow any other voice. He knew for certain that the God he loved had commanded this. And so what did Abraham do? He rose early. He got up early. He didn't spend time thinking about it. He didn't talk himself out of it. He didn't let his heart become hardened against it. He took some turbans. He saddled up the donkey and he set out with his son because if he gave himself an opportunity to talk himself out of it, he likely would have. And listen to how Isaac speaks to him. He says, my father, and these words must have melted Abraham's heart. Uh, Matthew Henry says that this would strike deeper into Abraham than his knife could ever go into Isaac. And despite this, Abraham had faith. He had faith that God would provide the sacrifice. That's what he says to his son Isaac. God will provide. And the obedience from Abraham was amazing. This is his big test. This is his moment. His entire life has led up to this point. Would the man of faith blink? Would the man of faith quit now after all he had been through? Did he trust God? Did he trust that God was good? Did he trust that God was righteous and altogether holy and had good things in store for those that love him? We will have moments in our life like this too. Moments of trial and test, not in the same way as Abraham, but we have moments where things go bad and we wonder, where is God? Why is He not here? We wonder whether God loves us. We wonder what His plan is in these moments. And in these moments when you go through them, do you trust Him? Do you trust that He is good? Do you trust that He is altogether righteous? Do you trust that He loves you and has good plan for those who love Him? And it's in these tests that we learn whether or not we have living faith, true faith, salvific faith, or dead faith. Fake faith. James talks about this event in in the book of James and listen to how he words it, James 2, 21 to 23. He says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. We remember that ages ago that Abraham was saved when he believed God, that he was made. It was counted to him as righteousness by believing in God. He believed in the promises of God and he was saved. He was made into one of God's people and God would make him into a great nation through Isaac. But it wasn't until that belief was put to the test that the scripture here says that in a sense, it would be fulfilled in a sense that he would show that faith to be genuine. And what was the test? Was God testing Abraham's loyalty? Was God testing if Abraham loved him more than his only son? Well, not quite. Those were elements of it, for sure. But the test was whether Abraham believed God. That he believed that God would set his descendants from Isaac. Genesis seventeen nineteen. I will establish my covenant with Isaac as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And so Abraham knew Isaac would survive this. He didn't know how. But he knew Isaac would survive. Abraham knew God would protect Isaac. This is why it's real faith. Not blind faith. God is telling Abraham to kill the promise not just his son, but the promise. The promise he made long ago. God is telling Abraham to kill the everlasting covenant he made with him to see whether or not God would still bring it about. Listen to Hebrews eleven seventeen 17-19. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham trusted God so fully that even if he had to kill his own son, God would immediately bring Isaac back. Abraham knew that Isaac would be his, no matter what. His faith was so resolute in the promises of God that he knew God would come through. He knew God would come through. And friends, this is why this event is so monumental. It represents trust in God pushed to its most extreme limit. It shows us why Abraham is truly called the father of faith. And all of us parents can say amen as we look at what Abraham has done. And we see that that is real, tangible faith. And Abraham, he leaves his servants behind. He walks up Mount Moriah with his son Isaac. And Isaac bearing. The wood on his back. Servants must be scratching their heads. Where's the sacrifice? Leads me to my second point. God's provision for those with faith. Let's keep reading verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place. The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And this is the moment the test has come. Abraham builds the saddest altar he's probably ever built before. He's built many altars and all of them were joyful uh, responses to the amazing things that God had done in his life. And he binds his son Isaac and lays him down on the wood. And you know, Isaac, he's probably a young lad in his early teens at this point. And Isaac's starting to realize what is happening. And the text never indicates for us that Isaac struggles or he fights his father. Only that he trusts his father. With one final kiss, Abraham raises the knife up to the sky. And he's about to bring it down on his one and only son. And in this moment, heaven and earth God, angel, and man was witnessing this spectacle as Abraham was offering his son in pure faith and obedience to God. Abraham's only son that he loves, the joy and laughter of his mother, Sarah, the hope of the church will die by his father's hand. And as that comes down, a voice rings out, Abraham! Abraham and he looks and there's the voice of the angel thundering down from above and it stops Abraham's arm from swinging down and he says do not lay your hand on the boy don't do anything to him and imagine the moment just how wonderful how relieving how terrifying all at once Abraham's trust in the Lord was vindicated he was proven that indeed he trusts and fears the Lord And his son was given back to him. And Abraham had not withheld his one and only son from God. And God has proven himself true because he provided a sacrifice for Abraham. This ram with its horns caught in the thickets. And there, Abraham sacrificed it in worship to his almighty God as a substitute for his son Isaac. And Abraham called the name of the place, Yahweh Yireh, the Lord will provide. Because on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. God provided for his people. And in the times of testing, we question God's goodness. We question whether he has a good intention or a good plan for us. When Christ was in the garden, there was much evil planned for Jesus in that moment. And he was sweating drops of blood, which you can do when you're put under enough stress. And he asked for the cup to pass from him, but not my will, but your will. Christ knew that God's plans were good, even though Christ had to go through the trial. And when Christ calls us as his followers to lose everything for him, even our very lives, for the sake of following him, Do we trust Him? Because He's not telling us to embrace evil and destruction, but to embrace loss so that we can have gain. That He has a good plan for us. Because God promises to provide. Matthew 6.33 But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When we trust God completely and fully with our lives and we loosen the grip of the things that we hold onto so tightly, we often see that God gives these things back to us. But now these things are given back to us and the power that they once had over us has now been relinquished. No longer do we cling to these as our things of ultimate value, but we recognize with open hands that God is the only thing of ultimate value. When we put God first in everything, I mean, it can be utterly just terrifying to sacrifice everything to God. But when we do, we find that he does indeed have good things planned for us. You have to trust him through the trial. You have to trust him through the testing. You have to trust what Abraham says to his son Isaac in this passage. God will provide. Do you believe this? My third point, the true living faith of the Son. Let's keep reading verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has born children to your brother Nahor, Uz, his firstborn, Buz, his brother, Chemuel, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazel, Pildash, Jidlap, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was R- Rumah, bore Tiba, Gaham, Tahash, and Makkah. Now, in this last section of the passage, we see that God commends Abraham for his faith and he reiterates the covenant that we've already heard. And God is going to bless him. He's going to bless um, uh, his descendants and all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed in Abraham. And God is going to use the descendants of Abraham to reach the entire world for his name. That God's people, his chosen people that he he has chosen in Abraham would go out into the world and bless them and bring the nations into the people of God. And Mount Moriah is this place where God uh, provides. In fact, it became the place that the temple was built in 2 Chronicles 3.1. It says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. And notice verse 18. In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now, you might miss it because English obscures it a little for us, but the word offspring is Singular. It's in one of Abraham's descendants that the nations will be blessed. And where Abraham and Isaac are right now is on a mountain that would be at the very heart and center of Jerusalem, the city of God. God was going to provide a sacrifice on this mountain that would fulfill God's promise to Abraham one that would bless the nations of the world and undo the curse of sin that has plagued humanity from the garden. You know, as we've been reading Genesis, that promise that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent and undo the misery that has come upon the human race. We've been waiting for him for so long, and here he is. It's an offspring of Abraham. In John 8, 56, Jesus says something very interesting. He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day he saw it and was glad. And did you know in this moment, Abraham saw Jesus? You may think, what? How, how did Abraham see Jesus? Well, Abraham didn't know his name. He didn't know exactly who he would be or what he would be like. But Abraham knew that one day God's son would walk up the mountain bearing the wood of his own sacrifice on his back, except this time no one would call out. When Abraham, his knife came down on Isaac, someone called out, Abraham, stop. But when that knife is coming down on God's son, no one was there to call out. No one would call out. This time, the sacrifice would go ahead and all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Salvation would come. The parallels between Isaac and Jesus are just astounding. Listen to John 3.16, very familiar verse for most of us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. By believing in God's only Son, when that knife comes down on us, We will not die, but a voice cries out, No, I will provide. I will provide the death that is required for this human being. I will require the sacrifice. And he crushed his son, Jesus, on our behalf. God did not withhold his son, his only son. And Jesus willingly went to his death out of obedience to his father because Jesus knew that God would not forsake or abandon him, but raise him from the dead. The trust that Jesus had was the true living faith that we all need, the faith of Abraham to its fullest extent. Jesus embodied what it meant to be a descendant of Abraham, but also at the same time embodied what it meant to be an obedient son. And unlike Abraham, Jesus succeeded in every test. He passed every test and trial, he went through every hardship, and his trust in God never wavered. Abraham went to sacrifice his son to the God he loves. God the Father sacrificed his son for his enemies. Do you see the difference? Abraham offered up Isaac for that God that had given him so much, the God that he loved and held dear in his heart. Whereas God, he didn't offer up his son for those who love him, he offered up his son his enemies to make his enemies his friends so how do we know if our faith is genuine how do we know if we have real faith abraham level faith how do we know that do we trust in ourselves? Do we trust that by our own good deeds and performance, by doing good things, by being a a good little boy and a good little girl, ticking all the boxes that God's going to accept us because we know that by our good deeds, no one will be declared righteous. No one will be able to see God. By ourselves, we have nothing but a fearful expectation of judgment. But do you trust that God will fulfill his promise despite your sin? That despite your shortcomings, God will fulfill his promise to you. That his promises is as sure as anything. Or do you doubt the promises of God? Do you doubt that God can save you? Do you trust that God will keep his promises even when it looks like he won't? Because this is what we see in Abraham. Tests and trials will come. And always, 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 always remember that God will put us through trials, but God is in the trials. He's with us in the trials. He is going to come through. And if you want to be strong and stand firm when testing and trial comes your way, you need to know God. You need to be committed to God. You need to be growing in God, growing with these people in the ways that he has set out. If you want to stand on that day, well, you need to walk with God as Abraham walked with God. They aren't glamorous ways. But the ways to do it is to sit under good teaching, to read your Bible and pray every day and let go of the things of this world that you put your hope in because our faith needs to be in the God we claim to love. And praise the Lord that his promises are secure and that faith, genuine, real faith is in him and not in ourselves. So learn from Abraham. What are you withholding? What are you clutching to? Let it go. Surrender and put your faith and hope in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this amazing story that we see from your servant Abraham and how he, uh, Lord, he went into one of the hardest trials that you could possibly imagine. And he was tested to the extent of his faith, Lord, and he didn't waver And he went and he offered his son, Isaac, knowing that you are good and have good plans and that you would return Isaac to him and that 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 sacrifice would not result in the death of his son. We thank you, Lord, that you often call us to sacrifice things to you and to put to death things that we clutch to with white hands clutching so hard, Lord, that we don't realize that these things are killing us. Lord, help us to relinquish everything to you and trust that you are good and that you have good plans for us and that things are better off not having them than clinging to them. For as your son says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his very soul? We know, Lord, that faith and hope and trust in you is the best things that we could possibly have. And so Lord, I just pray for my friends. I pray for my friends that are listening. I pray for my friends that um, don't know whether or not they trust in you. Lord, would you give them real faith this day that they would relinquish the things they hold on to, that they would trust in your son, Jesus. And I pray for my friends that feel weak in their faith and fickle in their faith. And I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them by your might and Holy Spirit and that they would push further and further into greater lengths of obedience to you, knowing that obedience, it only strengthens their faith. And we know, Lord, that obedience does not save us, but is a result of real faith. And we thank you, Lord, and we pray that you grow us up into this living faith. In Jesus' name, amen.